Well, welcome to the Christians of Sport podcast. It is prime time for the Winter Olympics. Very chilly. But my interviewee is a man who doesn't bat an eyelid at that. Because from 1997 right through to 2010, he spent his elite athletic career in bobsleigh and skeleton at the top level. Adam Pengilly, before we go any further, just help idiots like me to be absolutely clear on the difference between bobsleigh and skeleton and what's involved, just in case some dimwits don't understand. Bobsleigh is a team sport, two and four man. You push the sled, sit in it, and then drive down. Skeleton is an individual sport with one person. You push the sled, bent over, and dive on it, which is a flat sled going on your tummy, head first, down the mountain. <laughs> Absolutely mental. Why did you stop doing 97 to 01? Right, it's all very sweet. You're doing bobsleigh, you know, sensible blokes, two or four. Push, jump on, sit. Why did you change the skeleton? Few reasons. Uh, I wasn't as good at skeleton at bobsleigh as I thought I would be at skeleton, because of my size and and physical attributes. Uh, I also wanted to learn to drive the bobsleigh, but at the time, if you were not in the British military, that was really difficult to do. So, and the other main factor is if you want to get a, a bobsleigh, a good bobsleigh, it's at the time probably about thirty thousand pounds. A good skeleton, three thousand. So. No-brainer from that point of view. So I thought, right, after uh, finishing my bobsleigh career and doing a bit of coaching in the middle, I I still wanted to be an athlete. And uh, so I thought, right, let's buy a sled. Let's invest in one before I'd even tried it. Let's um, get out on the ice, join the program, and, uh, and then away we go. And I actually started on my 25th birthday, so I was a really latecomer to Skeleton. That really is. And so, you know, when you when you see people at, say, at the Winter Olympics uh, and you think, gosh, I wonder how they got into that. You weren't an Olympian in bobsleigh. And then, I mean, you, you coached, right? Top level. But you end up as an Olympian and a successful one and involved in the World Championships because it cost you three grand to get the kit instead of 30 grand and you weren't in the army. That's how you got there. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, my first games, my first Olympics, I did it the wrong way round because I went first as a coach. I know that's absolutely bonkers. In you coach in 2002. Yeah, in bobsleigh. In bobsleigh. So you, you stopped competing and you got to the Olympics as a coach before you got there as a competitor. Yeah. That's just mad. Why didn't you stay in coaching, by the way? I still had a desire to be an athlete and, and fulfill that dream. And I, I was 24, so I, I loved competing. I really enjoyed the, the coaching, but I thought I want to compete and do it for, I, I guess, do it on my own account as an athlete. Well, this is definitely a first in the Christians in Sport podcast. A bloke who at 24 stops competing internationally in sport, becomes a national level coach, goes to the Olympics, and then quits to start doing another sport. That, Adam, is definitely a one-off, without doubt. Let me take you to then into your skeleton career. So, uh, 206, you're in Turin. You've not been going that long and you start late and you finish eighth. That's some achievement. Tell me about that Olympics. As we're in the month of the Winter Olympics, tell me about your experience in your first competing Winter Olympics. Yeah, I think although I've been doing it 
a fairly short time. I had all the experience from bobsleigh and the learning there that I could transfer across. So I think uh, that helped to accelerate my, my, my development. And then, yeah, I came to Turin. The good thing about Olympic Games is it's a bit of a leveler. So there are only about 15 tracks around the world. So all the guys that have been doing it 10, 15 or longer years, they know these other tracks really well because they've been going to them year after the year after year. Whereas with the Olympic track, it has only been there a short period of time. And that was even more the case in Turin because they were a little late getting it ready. So it was quite a leveler for everybody. And the home nation, which normally has a huge advantage because they can go on it a lot, the Italians weren't as strong in skeletons. So that, that meant I had a better, a better opportunity than normal. And I, I was ranked eighth going in, so I kind of finished in my, my finished position. It, uh, it actually wasn't as good as it could have been. Oh, really? But well, you finished higher? Yeah, the two-run race. First run, I went down and was in the lead for a while and then finished fourth after the first run, 200s off a of bronze, so less than a blink. And then I had one run to go, nailed the whole run except for one corner, and it happened to be the most important corner. And I think that was mainly down to an experience. I nearly actually flipped, so I dropped from fourth back to eighth, which at the time was, oh, I was gutted. Well, I'm interested in that, you see, because uh, we do the Christian Sport podcast for top-level competing athletes, young ones on the way, people in the business uh, really competing at the level you were. Tell me about how gutting that was, because you look back on it now. Was it totally gut-wrenching? Yeah. Yeah. I I wish you could see his face now. I, I, he just can't look up. It, so far, we've been chatting away, and you just peel away. Thir yeah, 11 years there, 12 years. You've just gone, yeah, and look down. How long did it take you to get through the pain? About three months. Three months. How did you get out of it? I think it was a combination of maybe yourself or and a guy called Pete Nicholas who I spoke to my my head was in the wrong place really I this was leading in as well I think I I was probably worshipping sport a bit too much and my performance in that was was a bit too important to me and that's why I was so disappointed the the other thing is an olympic games comes around once every 4 years and you only probably get one, maybe two opportunities. Uh, so you kind of need to take them when they arrive. And I had one there, had a great chance at winning the bronze. And yeah, I, I was unable to take it. But unfortunately, um, my too much of, of, I guess, my identity and, and was wrapped up in, in success and uh, the importance of, of doing well and succeeding and my value perhaps was based in that, which was, uh, which was I was reminded of that that wasn't the case and shouldn't be the case. And, and even if I had succeeded, it wouldn't have been fulfilling, I suppose, with, with the success wouldn't have actually fulfilled me, I suppose, and given me that peace or joy. Now, you're going to have to unpack that a little bit because it presupposes a few things, obviously. I mean, it is the Christians in Sport podcast, so we're assuming you're coming from a position of following Jesus. Yeah. Um, 
And of course, a number of our listeners would hold to being a, a Christian themselves, a practicing Christian. Others would say, well, I'm not sure, but I'm interested in this fellow athlete. In the best and simplest possible way you can, just unpack this thing. What, what do you mean your identity was in your performance? Because to anybody who really plays, if you're not gutted when you lose, if you're not wrapped up with doing the best you can and getting bronze in this instance, you wouldn't be playing. So can you give me a simple explanation of what you're trying to say there that wasn't quite right in your mind as an athlete? Yeah, I went into a race to do the best I could and try and win it. Full stop. I was a, an international athlete. I was a funded athlete. That was what I wanted to do. That was what I was, uh, I guess, funded to do as well. But when it's the be-all and end-all, or it can drift into becoming a be-all and end-all, then when it becomes like the, a, a god of, of your life, that's when my identity of I'm an athlete was first and foremost rather than I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, I'm I'm saved by by the Lord Jesus. That should have been where my, my identity in my head was rather than I'm an athlete and that's everything. Alright, so if if you're saying that the definitive thing for you about being an elite athlete and a follower of Jesus or a Christian is that it it changes the perspective of who you really are. If that was a crisis moment, perhaps, as a somebody in their middle to later 20s at the Olympics, how was that how did that continue to work out in your both your skeleton career and of course subsequently in significant administrative roles uh, in the IOC Athletics Commission and so on? Have you continued to wrestle with the issue of who you really are, Adam Begilly athlete or IOC member or child of God, to quote you? How, how have you continued to wrestle with that? For me, I think it's always a challenge. And so an awareness of the challenge is important first. And then reminders from the Bible, from the pulpit, from Christian mates, CIS, all of my... Uh, kind of Christian friends and environment is important and to, to, to remind me that first and foremost I'm saved by the grace of, of the Lord and, and therefore I'm part of God's family and then one of my, my role at that time on earth my job at that time on earth was to be an athlete and it wasn't just a job it was something I loved something uh, was a real gift really from from God to be able to do something I love to get an income from it um, and and travel and meet lots of people and and compete uh, and try and do the best I could uh, but I think it was the best I could was not for me and my success and identity and because it would, would make a difference of who I was but more to try and do it for for the Lord because of the gift of sport he'd given me. It's interesting listening to that then because when you speak to a number of people who do know the pressures 
that you're describing. Um, there is something very subtle here about realizing on a simple level there's more to life than sport but at the same time the fact that there is a god who gave you your talents and who does love you and calls you his own before anything you can achieve does recalibrate the brain i'm interested now uh in future things as it were beyond 06 then so in turin you should in your own mind have finished fourth even bronzed you should have bronzed really I think I look back at it and think, I wish I'd had the sort of run I was capable of and seen where that landed. Yes. I'm, I'm not saying I, I would have got the bronze medal, but I think I certainly would have been close. Yes. And it might have been comfortably good enough. It might have been just off. So. And to some extent, that's not wishful thinking because before your second Winter Olympics, you, in 07 win bronze at the Europeans. In 09, you win silver in the world champs uh, at Lake Placid. So you're definitely in the top cohort now, the top three or four, uh, competing at that level comfortably. When you get to Vancouver Winter Olympics in 2010, I'm assuming it was a disappointment that you didn't finish right high up, given that you're on the upward curve. Yeah, I finished 18th. It was a disappointment for sure. I'd, I'd had a great summer's training and the year before I'd, I'd finished really well at the World Champs, as you said. And then I, I got an injury at the beginning of the season. Uh, I'd, yeah, I'd trained well all year, all, all summer and did a push session. We were in Whistler in actually at the track where the Olympics was held and a training event at the beginning of the season and uh, done a, a push session. I pushed fantastically for training run. So I thought, great, you know, I'm, I'm where I thought I'd be after all that summer. And then the next day or the day after, overdid it a bit too much in training, popped uh, something in my knee, which was like a, a tendon, not full rupture, but anyway, it, it meant injections and rehab and going home and getting fit again. Um, and then recovering and, and training again after Christmas and basically end up having a race off against one of my mates and so we had three races where we were up against one another and all three were pretty close all three I beat him and that was what gave me the nod to go to the games so by that time I was in pretty good nick the uh, the rehab that I'd done and the injections I'd had were had, had helped and then right before the games, it flared up again. So the knee was troublesome, although I was in reasonable shape physically. But the the, the knee meant that I, I couldn't jog. Running bent over pushing with some of my weight on the sled was okay. Um, but I couldn't warm up, so I had to just walk up and down the mountain. It was my warm-up. And wear a lot of clothes, basically. But the other thing, I made a poor decision with equipment. I should have gone for runners that had were sharper and had more grip. And based on lots of work that we'd done beforehand on air temperature, ice temperature, humidity, primarily, um, we'd had these runners designed and, and they'd worked really well. But basically on the track in Whistler, they didn't work and you needed sharper runners. So a combination of 
my injury and poor decision with equipment meant that I finished in 18th. How did you cope with that? Not four bad. years on, four years on. Yeah, not bad. I was in a really different place. I think what had happened the year before at the World Champs particularly had had helped in terms of I'd won a silver and many, quite a few people said I should have won the race. Uh, we had a run cancelled which I was quickest comfortably and had that been counted I would have won the world champs comfortably um, of the three of the four runs I think three I was well, quickest two on quickest second second quickest on one so but it had been a really good weekend um, and I was disappointed that the jury made that that decision and I didn't win and I wasn't the world champ but it also made me recognize that the week before, if I'd won the silver, I would have taken that straight away. And I felt amazing after I'd won. There's this tinge of disappointment, but I felt amazing that I was a world championship medalist for about two or three hours. And then it was just like, well, you know, life again, normal. So it was a real recognition that of, of what I already knew in my head, but that even if I'd won, I would have wanted to win again and I would have wanted to win the Olympics. And if I'd won the Olympics, it wouldn't be satisfied until I'd won it won, won again. And it just goes on and on and on. So all of these achievements and the success, it, it doesn't kind of fill the hole inside. Not that there was a hole, but it, it doesn't provide that, that satisfaction, I think, for me. So um, when I did finish 18th in Vancouver yes I was disappointed uh, I, I wasn't had I been fit and had I picked the right kit I, I don't think I was in the shape to, to medal uh, but I would have been quite a bit higher if I if those two things hadn't happened a lot higher but so I I was disappointed for sure but I was in a place where I knew that the Lord had different plan and uh, you know his love for me is not dependent on how I perform I think that's what I like about, about this conversation with you Adam is that I'd like to put it a bit like this that if you do come into a relationship with your creator through trusting in Jesus Christ and you do have a vocation as an athlete a couple of times earlier on in our interview you've mentioned it's somehow you've been given this gift, this sporting gift to use for him. If that's a vocation, what, what I hear in the way you talk is, once you know who you are, you are deeper, more, more profound than just winning or losing, or indeed your performance. Somehow it seems to liberate a woman and a man at the top level of sport, both to feel more secure without losing their edge, and to be able to give away to the sport more, to be able to give away to your competitors more, to have more care or empathy about you. Is that the consequence of understanding who you are as a Christian, as an elite athlete? Yeah, I think that is is accurate. I, it can be difficult because the world teaches you that that's 
not necessarily the way it is. And that's what your coaches would normally say. They're, they're under pressure to deliver results. And so is the sport. Uh, and there's a lot riding on, on the results. But it is, yeah, it is definitely liberating. You, you came to this realisation then post 06 Turin by Vancouver 2010 and you retire in 2012. Did it come early or too late in your career, this realisation of who you really are? I wish it had come earlier because I would have enjoyed my career more while I was sliding. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but I would have enjoyed it more. And and some I think also the realization it's it's grown more and more even after my career. So towards the end of my career, I, I it, it did sometimes become a, a bit of a slog. All the travel and time away from from family. But it would have been I think if I'd been able to every day, every race, just really think about giving it to to God and and why I was there rather than not for me but for. Good, thought-provoking. She's a measured bloke, Adam Pengilly. Thoughtful. Uh, mind you, can't be that thoughtful because he charged down a slope on his stomach with his head facing a wall. So um, perhaps he's become thoughtful with time. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but sharp bloke, uh, clear thinking. And it, it stretches your brain, doesn't it, to listen to that conversation. But there is something about being a Christian which gets your passion for being brilliant as an athlete into context doesn't diminish your competitiveness, your urge to win at all. I've seen it for years and years, but it sort of puts your life in context that winning is not enough. There's something about taking the gifts that you've been given by the God who made you, using them to the best of your ability, but enjoying the gift that you have and being part of a community where others feel that they belong and that you can serve other human beings as well as yourself. Very rich. It, it needs to be experienced to be understood. But that's why we make this podcast. If you want to know more, go to christiansinsport.org.uk. This podcast can be downloaded from any of the major podcast suppliers. We've got a whole back catalogue and we love having you listen. Pass it on. Make a comment on iTunes if you fancy. Uh, you can't see my face, so you can't say anything rough about me. But we'd love to hear your comments about how you find this podcast and how we could make it better. Thanks for listening. See you next time.